On this episode, Matt Schlapp. Mike Pence got caught up in this question about did he believe there was wide-scale voter irregularity. I saw it firsthand in Nevada, and then I saw it firsthand in Georgia. So I know what happened. You know, I think he needs to step up and remind people that he agrees with me on these basic questions. I'm David Drucker with The Washington Examiner, and welcome to another edition of In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 a ricochet podcast and a companion to my book, just out from 12 books, In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. Schlapp's resume is long and illustrious, chairman of the American Conservative Union, and in that role, he runs CPAC, the annual conservative political action conference. He's a lobbyist, worked in the political office of the White House under President George W. Bush, and is a high-profile supporter and defender of former President Donald Trump. Matt and I met up this week to discuss his new book, The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God, which is exactly what the title suggests. We also talked about Trump and why he maintains such a strong relationship with grassroots conservatives as well as the upcoming CPAC gathering in Orlando, Florida, during which Schlapp offered some unsolicited advice to former Vice President Mike Pence, who, in case you hadn't noticed, is laying the foundation for a 2024 presidential bid. I'd recommend sticking around for that part of the conversation. And now, Matt Schlapp. Matt, thanks for joining me on Intro Shadow. Great to be with you, David. Uh, listen, I'm going to get into a, a few different things here, um, but it is Intro Shadow, and you know, I, I think few people have had insight into both the former president, maybe the future president, and the voters that support him. The way you do, you've seen both sides of it. Um, you know, a lot of the questions I get asked by uh, Democrats. Uh, by Republicans, but Democrats and Republicans who aren't all that political in the way you and I are in terms of like living it every day is, man, Republican voters just like his base is rock solid. They are so loyal. This is not a new topic, but I love, you know, I think you have unique insight into this. If you were to explain to, you know, somebody who votes, but isn't, again, doesn't live this the way you and I do, why he has one of the most loyal bases of support among a political base of any politician I've seen right or left. Uh, How do you explain that? Well, he is the beneficiary of the fact that too many Republicans uh, at the national level, you know, leadership of the party, uh, leadership of the Senate and the house, et cetera, promised to do things. They basically either had no intention of ever doing uh, outlawing abortion, putting a padlock on the front door of the IRS, balancing the budget, you name it, right? They, they had these things in speeches for 50 years that they either had no intention of doing or knew that the chances of doing it was next to nothing. And whenever they had a chance to really make or break it, they always chose to say, this is just not the right time. We can't get rid of affirmative action. I remember being a staffer and, uh, you know, sitting along the wall, this was a long time ago when Newt Gingrich was speaker. And there was this whole question of, wow, we've got a majority. Maybe we should get rid of affirmative action. 
and uh, and you know uh, you might say cooler heads prevailed, and uh, and so no changes were made. And the same thing has been done in so many areas of policy. And then you step in Donald Trump, who I knew before he ran and met with several times, as he, I guess as he was preparing to run, and he was the unlikely guy to actually fight for those things. I mean, nobody who I hung out with really thought he would do all those things. And then he did. Did you? I didn't think he'd do all those things. I think I thought he would do. I thought he was what we needed. I always felt and I told people throughout those years that it was time for just somebody who wasn't a politician, was an outsider. We were so exhausted of these guys you know, with great Republican hair coming forward. And they had the pedigree and the resume. And they just you just knew they weren't going to do it. They were going to tell us things. And then they were going to say, you know, we, of course, we can't do that. Uh, when they got into power. And uh, so I knew Trump was the right guy. I, I wondered for a while if Carly Fiorina was the right person, you know, Ben Carson, you had a few outsiders there. And um, so, but t- Trump just did it all. I mean, I, I really can't think of something. You could say he was, he, he wasn't like a big uh, fiscal hawk. You could get, you could make that ding on him from a conservative standpoint, but by the same token, we went through that pandemic and, you know, it was like uh, everyone was trying everything to try to figure out a way to not close down the world. So, uh, you know, I, I still think it was the right call. And I think he gets the benefit, the double benefit of not only doing what he said he would do, but following up decades where no one else did that. Um, do you think that Republican politicians that came before him and look, you've been around, you know, a lot of these people. Do you think it was an an act of bad faith on their part, or do you think they would get into office, look at all of the potential complications or potential polit- the potential for political blowback, or maybe they got caught up in crises that they didn't plan for? And look, voters obviously rendered their verdict on what they ultimately didn't do. We know that. But do you think it was an act of bad faith, or do you think they didn't take into account that if they kept making too many promises that they didn't deliver, that eventually there was going to be a comeuppance. Both sides rely on the Supreme Court to do their bidding so they don't have to. So the left goes to the courts on everything to make up laws and to change laws. And, you know, they've had a heck of a great run doing that. Almost everything in their agenda they've wanted to see passed. The Supreme Court even basically passed climate change legislation. How insane is that? Uh, By them deciding that, CO2 was a pollutant. I mean, it's like this insanity. They just have run to the court forever. Sadly, conservatives, their answer, they don't honestly say this publicly, but their answer is when they say, I will pick justices like Clarence Thomas or Sam Alito or William Rehnquist or all the what all these presidential candidates have said, what they're basically saying is, we will, I'll pick strict constructionist judges. They will turn back the clock to quote, uh, what the left always says about people like me. And um, they'll do the right thing by the Constitution. They have no intent of doing it. So I'll give you an anecdote. My wife is working for President Trump in the White House. They happen to have a quiet time right before he's uh, thinking about whether or not he's going to sign that terrible omnibus or not, the first one. And he says, he always calls her Mercedes. He's like, Mercedes, tell me something good in the bills or anything good in the bill. And she was like, well, you know, sir, these things are kind of a they're, they're sausage making. And she tries to give him the answer. And he goes, tell me one thing. Did they at least defund Planned Parenthood? And she's like, sir, they're, they did not defund Planned Parenthood. 
They have no intention of defunding Planned Parenthood. And he said, well, how is it that politicians that run on being pro-life their whole career, but never really enact real change in this pro-abortion policy that we have in America? Um, and, uh, and I'm the guy they don't think is pro-life. And I'm the one saying it ought to be in the bill. He goes, why don't they do what they say they're going to do? And she kind of said, well, that's why we have you. By the way, Matt's wife, Mercedes Schlapp, a Republican communication strategist, helps him run CPAC, probably runs CPAC and uses him as a front, which is is smart, right? Because you can take the slings and arrows, but she's really in charge. Uh, And and I really do like your wife. So I wanted to make sure people knew who she was. Uh, Hey, listen, let's shift gears a little bit because I'll go on forever here because I'm just getting so fascinated by this. You have this new book out. The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. So, look, you and I have talked about cancel culture. A lot of people, especially if you're listening in Trump's shadow, um, you're going to have an idea of the idea of cancel culture. But uh, this book you've written with DLW Hudson, uh, which has a nice forward, by the way, from uh, former President Donald J. Trump, which I have to say, Matt, I'm only jealous in this regard. If Trump would either hate my book or like my book, I'd sell cop. I'd sell more than I've already sold. I'm fine if he hates it. I've got no mean tweet. No, well, he can't tweet, which we'll get to. No mean statement. <laughs> you know, no means anything in an, in an interview. I, and I thought I had a few things in there that he'd either like or hate, and he'd pick one. So I don't know. Talk to me about your book, though, and what it, what you what you guys get into, and where you want what you want people to learn from it. Well, it's hard, you know. Um... You understand this. I spent a lot of time on the book. Deal spent a lot of time on the book. Mercy spent a lot of time editing the book, um, helping me. We really help each other on our major projects. And you know, now, now that it's out, I got it came. It arrived over the weekend at the house, and I'm sending people like you copies, which I'm happy to do. Uh, and it's weird because I spent so much time on it, but part of me is kind of like, oh, God, I don't know if I can read it one more time. Find That's how it feels. No, you're no oh, different than I'm like, I, mean, I read, I I read my opening mind. letter in there and I'm like, oh, that's a run on sentence. I'm pretty sure. And that's not what how I should have said that. And so anyway, it's hard. It is a work of love. You can see why I'm not a great artist, but you can see why great artists sometimes have trouble and they paint over their canvas a lot of times because it's a little bit of a painful process, but it's done. And it's out. And um, and now that I've I've kind of I've been burying my soul, I have no idea what your question was. Um, what do you what do you talk about how you view cancel culture? Let me ask you this. Right. Because I realize going back to CPAC in 2021, I mean, this is a major focus of you of yours in general. This is something that concerns you. You've talked about even before the book. Uh, but let me pose a devil's advocate question to make this more interesting. Right. So, look, I am not arguing that conservatives, some conservatives, some Republicans have been deplatformed from Twitter, from Facebook. Um, some other things have happened in regard to that. And look, things are not always fair. But, but look, there are still a million uh, cable channels and broadcast stations where I see Republicans. The Republican Party is currently on track to win big in the midterm elections reclaim the house, reclaim the Senate, possibly by huge margins. So it's, and, and, and look, there's an argument that even though, you know, it may not have been fair that Trump was deplatformed from Twitter, that, that it's helped his numbers in some regard, because the voters that love the tweets, love them no matter what. And the ones that well, may love his policies didn't like the tweets. So is this, is, 
is it really, have you guys really been canceled? Okay, so let's think about this. My wife works for President of the United States and she's now on an assassination list. She's also on a list that has been uh, kind of shepherded by some former very prominent uh, staffers to uh, Democrats in very important positions to make sure that no company or charity ever hires anybody. She's on that list too. I'm on that list for having a Trump association. Uh, I talked to a very prominent deputy secretary of a very big cabinet agency who is a very impressive person who uh, has been blocked from serving on any boards. People say, oh, you know, my little violin's out. Someone can't serve on a corporate board. The point is, is this, liberals are not being canceled in this society. Socialists are not being canceled in society. Only Republicans are being canceled in this society. Uh, only um, people who are associated with Trump, at least in the world of politics. There's no canceling going on, on the other side. If you were for Black Lives Matter, which has resulted in literally the deaths of dozens of people at their violent protests, including a lot of cops, we have a surge in crime in all of our major cities because directly linked to the animus Black Lives Matter has towards law enforcement and the resulting budget cuts, uh, you know, no consequences. All these CEOs and corporations that came out and bear hugged BLM and said this was great and then wrote checks to it, no consequence. There's only a consequence on one side. And so my co-author, Deal Hudson, and I were, see, were thinking, and he really came up, to, came up to it in conversations he was having with uh, his uh, friends uh, who, um, he comes from the world of academia, I do not. And everybody talks to me, can figure that out real fast. But the uh, their feeling was there's something deeper going on than cancel. Cancel is your view is unacceptable. We're going to prevent you from being have a megaphone to say it. We're going to make sure you don't work in an organization that we can leverage to prevent you from being hired or helping. The Desecrators, which is what our book is called, is about the attack on anything holy, good, truthful, needed to sustain life, culture, society. That's where they're going. Why did BLM use such a great slogan, which nobody could disagree with, Black Lives Matter, and turn it into defunding cops, which would result in more crime in our big cities with dead kids on the sidewalk? How does does something that diabolical happen? And still today, there's a confusion as to why these cities are in this morass. And it's worse than just Black Lives Matter. It's also these uh, these um, all their policies coming from vaccine mandates and stuff. So it's just exacerbated. But my point is, is that they go after the family. They go after truth. They go after racial civility and try to have racial acrimony. Um, they go after uh, corporations. They go after professional sports. But they really go after our kids. They go after the war on gender. They go after the war on being straight, white, male. Christian, those kids in many of these elite and public schools are writing essays apologizing for uh, their privileges. Um, You know, to be a young man growing up in America today is a much more difficult thing than I ever could have imagined. Uh, As you go through the shaming process, as your job prospects look dimmer and dimmer, I've had so many friends tell me that their corporations have have a unofficial white freeze uh, they're just not hiring white people. They're not hiring white males. I don't want to be the big advocate for white males, even though I am one. Um, but uh, but this has to stop. And America is not going to survive this if 
these woke policies continue to create this this dynamic because the pushback, there will be more violence. There will be more people feeling like they have no hope and have no future. That is not going to create more more uh, beneficial culture. So who are the desecrators? So you've discussed uh, just now what they've been doing or what their who their targets are. Who are they? Well, I think you have the big funders on the left, and I think we all know who they are, people like George Soros and the others who part of me really respects because they're at it all day long. Uh, you know, this is their cause. Their cause is the destruction of Western civilization. Do you think and- that's what they think they're doing, though? Because I think you talk to some people on the left and they'd say, look, for generations, we've had racial injustice. We've had uh, people that are black, Latino, Asian, people that are not white, that were not treated equally and fairly. And all we're trying to do is balance the scales. All we're trying to do is say that. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yes. If Brian, uh, if my producer, Brian and Brian, don't cut this. If Brian deems it too much of a swear, he'll just bleep you. That is complete bullshit. And we have to stop acting as if this is a legitimate grievance. And you can't justify the attack on the Republican Party, which was established to end slavery, which elected Abraham Lincoln, which who obviously prosecuted the Civil War, who led the way on three civil rights amendments to give those former slaves their former civil rights. It was the Democratic Party through uh, the KKK and through Jim Crow and through just their own policies and platforms uh, that said that they would fight the ability of former slaves to have those civil rights and fought and fought and fought and fought. And yes, the Republican history is uh, not perfect as well, but the idea that the Republican Party is the racist party is outrageous. The idea that the Republican Party is the party that results in more of those people, as you described, people of color, the black community, Latinos. I mean, think about how outrageous this is. I live in the swamp and uh, I literally had a neighbor the other day say that she wouldn't allow a person who works for me on her property because my wife and I are racist. Now, you know, that's hard for me to hear, but it's really hard for my wife to hear who's Latina. And it was really hard for this employee to hear or this contractor who's from El Salvador uh, and is a, a legal immigrant and a wonderful guy. Like we have too many white woke radicals in our major cities who are trying to criminalize my views. And they tried twice to impeach Trump and they're trying again through the one six committee. And it just, it is going, I do agree. It's going to be, it's going to backfire on them, but it is having a tremendous cost in society, tremendous negative cost. Uh, And, and you think that they are purposely trying to tear, you don't think it's a misguided attempt to make things better. You think, you know how I know, because they've been so nasty to me and my wife, I now realize it's a very, very intended thing. What they have done to people who have my views and are of my heritage is to cry the race word racism. And it really started when Trump was elected, because you know what people like me were taught to do, David, maybe you were taught to do the same. When race is brought up, the white guy is supposed to shut up and take three steps back because it's not really his fight because I have privilege and I never I don't know what it could be like to be the victim of racism. And so that's kind of what I don't know whether it's official or unofficial, but that's kind of what the white person does in that scenario. 
And what they did very intentionally is they made so many of us be quiet about these debates in schools. Uh, they made it uncomfortable for us to raise issues about our point of view. And so most of us just receded from these questions of race and culture until we realized that they were literally destroying the minds of our kids. And then all the CRT stuff started to come forward and they realized the radicalism of 16, 19 and how just obnoxious it is. Uh, I always say deals the academic, but I was a history major. That is the most obnoxious concept. I know this uh, woman uh, comes from Notre Dame, the same school I went to, but outrageous the idea that all of American history is about somehow establishing slavery and defending slavery. So no, no, it's done purposely to get uh, the majority to shut up and to back off, to allow all the questions around race to be adjudicated by people with grievances who are of color and who have left-wing politics. And by the way, God forbid you be a Clarence Thomas or a Mercedes Schlapp or someone who comes from these communities with constitutional views. Uh, they will double try to destroy you. And so, yes, it's purposeful. And we know because that's how we've lived the life. Hey, Matt, a, a side note on this. D does it at all? I found it. Let's just say I, I'm white and I just don't identify that way. I, I just it's not that I'm afraid to identify that way. I, I don't, I don't, I just don't, I know I'm white and I look white and I'm going to be white, but I just have no interest in identifying that way. I feel like there's been one of the reactions to what you've been discussing is that there are some people that now have decided I'm going to identify, you know, that I guess they get defensive because they're white. And, and do you think that this is a, a, a an unfortunate byproduct that some people will now think of themselves as white that that maybe accrue the benefits of being white um depending on what profession they were in or how they were raised but clearly didn't identify that way they identified as a christian or an american or a jew or or however they identified and didn't give much thought to their skin color and I, i'm just wondering how helpful how, how unhelpful it might be if if white people in the united states start getting defensive about this and think that they have to, that it's a part of them, because I don't know. I understand why a person of color would identify this way be, because of the parts of American history that are negative, that are regretful, even though not all of American history is negative or regretful clearly. But I'm wondering if this is, um, an unfortunate byproduct here that we we would rather skip, let's say. Well, I just say this. First of all, I remember uh, as a high schooler applying for colleges and you know, you had the boxes you could check about what your ethnicity or heritage uh, is. And I, I remember at a young age, you know, I, I did read National Review and American Spectator. And I just decided I wasn't going to check any of those boxes. Like I didn't want to live my life thinking about my race. Um, I never really thought about my gender. I mean, it's just, you just were, you didn't think about, oh, I choose to be male. You, you are male. Um, and so uh, now you fast forward to, I live in an age where I'm 54 year old white guy. Um, and everyone tells me I need to be quiet because I'm not the right message deliverer. If I, if I had a, a penny for every conservative consultant who's told me, well, that's great, Matt, but you're not the right person to speak. Could your wife speak on that? Or could we get Candace Owens to speak on that? Or could we get this person or that person? 
And what I realized is, is that that's part of the disease, which is you have to be a certain a gender, sexuality, uh, skin color to speak on a whole range of hot cultural topics. And I think Trump helped just break that mold. And for me, um, I refuse to think logically according to my skin color. I just, I'm not going to do it now. Now the radicalized left will tell me it's because it's so imbued in who I am that I can't even see my racism uh, because racism is no longer animus towards somebody because they have a different skin color. Racism is now defined as you got yours. Uh, so uh, you got it corruptly through America and you're preventing other people from getting theirs. Of course, they don't understand economics. When I have mine, it means that no one else can have theirs. And that's the insanity of their stupid thinking. And so I just came, I came to the point when I took the CPAC job and we've been blamed for a lot of things. The international spread of coronavirus would be one of those things. Um, you know, the racism of Trump, the, 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 the hatred and the threat to democracy of Trump. We've been, we've been accused of so many things that I'm simply not going to wait around for the right person to, to speak what I think needs to be said. I'm going to do it. Now, there's been consequences with doing that. And I write about it in the book. You know, uh, I basically lost my whole business practice because I said things that apparently you're not allowed to say. I thought there were things that needed to be said. I had been a commentator uh, uh, my whole life, uh, ever since I left Coke Industries. I've been a public person. I've made public comments. I've been on television. I have, you know, a couple, almost two decades of doing this. And, um, and you used to be able to do it with my values and also be able to have a professional life. And you just can't anymore. That's all debt. You cannot have a professional life and believe in the Constitution because you will get canceled. So I have a choice. I could either shut up and try to be successful uh, professionally, or I can keep talking and try to figure out uh, what tomorrow brings. And that's the choice we've made. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming CPAC. Uh, Matt is chairman of the American Conservative Union. He and his wife, Mercedes, basically run CPAC. Now, I wrote an in Trump shadow um, <clears throat> that you have over the years become the curator of the guest list in terms of who gets the main stage at CPAC. And only by looking back, I mean, I look, I could criticize you for plenty because that's the business I'm in. But oh well, boy, the, could you criticize me? I'd probably criticize myself. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure if I talked to your five daughters, they'd criticize you all day long because that's what kids do. <laughs> you know, I've got two boys. We've made I'm, lots of mistakes. I'll I'm say I'm sure that. I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> I told them I'd pay for the shrink, though. Um, listen, one of the things when I look back and I look at who you've invited to CPAC over the years, didn't always agree with everybody you invited, but you you seem to have a good understanding of where the, the conservative base is. Who do they want to hear from? What do they want to hear? What topics do they want discussed? Uh, you've done a very good job of that. And I and I wrote that in Trump Shadow, so I don't mind saying it on the on the Trump Shadow podcast. Who's coming this year that might be different? What topics are you going to focus on that maybe they're the same, but a little bit the different edge. Um, what can people expect? Uh, CPAC is coming up February 24th through the 27th. Um, I've seen a couple of guests already announced, but uh, what's it going to be about this year? So I would just say that um, maybe one of the reasons why, first of all, there's lots of people uh, that we invite to speak, who I invite to speak, who I don't agree with. Um, so even conservatives, I don't agree with. So part of Part of doing CPAC was intentional to not make it the Matt and Mercy show. Let it be CPAC. Let it be for 
really the whole country with a focus, obviously, on conservatives, which, by the way, is kind of a tired word. It's really Americans who love America. Of course, that's not a great way to think of it either, because we have so many international people coming, too. So it's people from around the globe who love America and love her founding, even though uh, obviously she has imperfections. And so that's how we've made those decisions over the course of the last two years. We've realized um, that our leaders have by and large failed us. Um, They haven't gotten it done. Donald Trump is uh, the strange aberration to that trend. Does it mean that all elected officials are bad people? I'm not saying that most of them I actually think are good people. I think most of them mean well, a lot of them don't. Um, And, uh, but who's going to save the country if it's to be saved are going to be these moms and dads, cops and teachers, uh, some brave CEOs here or there, some brave donors here or there, mostly just regular folks who stand up at community meetings and say no more. And that's what happened in the Commonwealth of Virginia and around the country. That's what's happening on this vaccine mandate. We're literally at the uh, steps of the Lincoln Memorial the other day. You saw thousands of people assemble and a lot of doctors uh, assemble. Just saying, look, this is we have insanity. We are just you get canceled if you have any other information to add that isn't the same information that Dr. Fauci um, is adding. So I'd say this year we're going to have more of those um, regular folks who are not famous. We're also going to have a who's who of people who people would maybe assume would come speak. And I also think that we're going to surprise people with some more celebrities and stuff. I just think people have had enough, including people that have something to lose by coming forward. You know, every year we always deal with people that have big profiles and sometimes we get some and sometimes we don't because, you know, you can lose your whole career on one of these decisions, which to me is part of our big problem. Are we going to hear uh, former president Donald Trump at CPAC this year, as we did last year? Yeah, I hope I hope that's the case. It's not announced yet. Um, uh, he and I, you know, still continue to talk and I believe have a good relationship from my standpoint. We do. Of course, I am a little bit worried about the book, too, because, David, you never know. Uh, I don't think there's anything in there that he should have a, have a, a, a contrary thoughts of. But you never know. I mean, I who knows? You sell a lot of books. It was like <laughs> Donald Trump got mad at Matt Schlapp, his good friend. That's a lot of books. Um, I, mean, I write some personal things in there about our interactions. Um and just like I, I, I am what I am, I, I think I write in a way that is uh, just, just relates very clearly what happened. And I view it as endearing. And we'll see what he thinks. Are we going to hear at CPAC this year potentially from former Vice President Mike Pence or former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley? Uh, those decisions are still to be made. I will speak specifically to Mike Pence, um, who I tried very hard. Unsuccessfully, I lobbied to get him come to Orlando, the first CPAC we had as at a national level outside of uh, Washington, D.C. And he felt like it was a little too soon. So I'll just say this. I'll, I'll continue to have those conversations with him. We would love to have him back. Um, I think some people are still confused about where Mike Pence is on things. And, uh, and you know, my, I'll give you my, my advice to him publicly through your podcast. Uh, Mike Pence got caught up in this question about did he believe there was wide scale voter irregularity? I saw it firsthand in Nevada, and then I saw it firsthand in Georgia. So I know what happened. I'm content with 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 the fact that I realized we had voter irregularity on a scale we've never seen before, and the nearly five hundred million dollars in sucker bucks and stuff was spent for a purpose, and it was spent to uh, put these boxes around. 
and to print out ballots. And those signatures were not checked and those voters were by and large not verified. So, you know, I think he needs to step up and remind people that he agrees with me on these basic questions. Now, how much fraud there was, we really can't know because as you know, the law doesn't allow enough time to actually do that. And uh, and the court cases really weren't court cases because no judge really wanted to upend an election, even in a state or locality. So there's really no way to adjudicate a presidential contest with this much fraud. And Mark Elias knew that, which is why they constructed the plan. It's evil genius. Um, So, you know, I think he needs to reconnect to the fact that he actually believed that that fraud occurred and somehow it got screwed up on whether or not the Senate was going to be able to look and understand that fraud. And I think second of all, um, he needs to come out and speak out against once the one six committee. What's happening there is to create a whole new generation of scooter Libby's, which Liz Cheney and uh, her father felt like was a big, big uh, loss during the Bush presidency that George Bush should have pardoned scooter Libby. It took Donald Trump to pardon scooter Libby, but they believe that scooter Libby was a political victim of supporting his boss's policies that namely Dick Cheney. And now they're doing the same thing to all these young people who work for Donald Trump. It's outrageous. It's wrong. And Mike Pence should, instead of these articles I'm reading where he's cooperating with the committee, which I don't really know what that means. His public voice should be that this is a scandal and it should end now. And if Republicans take over the house, uh, they should turn around and investigate everyone who was a part of 1-6 because Congress has never done something where the majority ran roughshod and blocked the minority 100% out of things like subpoenas. Okay, Matt, we're short on time. And I purposely, you know, you and I could have talked about this sort of thing, I thought, for hours. You and I have talked about it before. You're going to have to have me back on. I know, I know. And I didn't want to make it repetitive because, you know, with so many uh, conservatives that I have on, on the podcast who are generous enough to give me their time, I could have this debate and, and I find it interesting. I think I would bore the audience, but I want to ask two follow-ups before I let you go on this issue. One, and just because I think your, your advice to Mike Pence is not coming from somebody who doesn't understand conservative and Republican voters. In regard to the former vice president's decision on January 6, 2021, to not um, ascertain the electoral college votes presented to him because there were some Republicans, there were some people inside the White House that were asking him to reject the slates of electors from the various states. And you mentioned some of them. Do you think that Mike Pence should have not done what he did that day and rejected the electors? Uh, I think that's a good question. Uh, And I'd have to say I'm not the constitutional scholar But like all Americans, I read everything I possibly could around that time. And I think that Mike Pence believed that he did not have a state that had a controversy over who the electors were. And if he had a state where there was a controversy, in other words, a division on which set of electors should have been sent to Washington, there was kind of a faux set of contrary electors, but it wasn't real. It didn't really come from a state legislative chamber that was in session. It came from, you know, kind of an outside the legislative uh, process. They'd set a Senate of electors. That was almost a publicity stunt from my standpoint. So I understood where he was coming from there, but I also believe that he sent a letter before the voting actually started, basically saying that uh, we had to accept uh, you know, these electors. And I think that's where if if I were advising him, I would have encouraged him to let the Senate have 
just as you do with every deliberative body, allow the Senate to vote, allow Ted Cruz to come up with his resolution, allow Josh Hawley to speak, allow these people to present the evidence and then see what you do. As you know, the House of Representatives has decided over the will of the majority of voters in congressional districts, usually by Democrats, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to overturn the election results because they thought there was questionable uh, activities and seat Democrats in the House of Representatives. And they did that time and time. You could probably remember the examples better than I can. Um, and uh, and at, at, when it comes to the presidential election, there seems to be a short circuiting of the ability to have a redress of grievances when there is this type of fraud. And I think it was really the Senate's role, it was really Congress's role to um, to let the American people see what that evidence was. And so I know it sounds uh, extraordinary, but I actually think the nation would have come together better if all of that could have been presented in a way. Now, the, the riots around the Capitol uh, prevented, I mean, when I saw the riots, for instance, that day, I just... I saw the riots. I sent some tweets. You know, I think it, it was just I couldn't believe what I was watching, uh, how counterproductive it was. But yet I had been around the country and met millions of MAGA people when I was on the Trump bus. And I knew that 99 percent of those people were very well-meaning. They got caught up in the moment. They did something they shouldn't have done. Um, you never rush at a cop. You never run to a cop. But um, but I just felt like it was also unfortunate and so unnecessary that as a country, we're going to do a lot better if we let everybody have a role and let everybody speak. Now, what would have been the result if they would have had votes in, votes in Congress? My, I, you know, I can't predict, but my guess is, is that in the end, Joe Biden is uh, awarded, you know, these electors and he's sworn in as president. And uh, and I've said and I get criticized for this from people uh, who I, I, I have allegiance with politically that, you know, Joe Biden's the president. He's living in the White House. Uh, he got the ring. Uh, it's the way it is. It, it cannot be undone. Um, and so I think Mike Pence was in a terrible, terrible position. And I think that the, the most critical thing is what do we do going forward? And I think going forward for him, we'd love to have him at CPAC. And I think if he did come, I think he should really take apart one six and the the apostasy of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I think it would I think it would do us a lot of good. Okay. And Sorry that gets me to my final answer. question. And I appreciate uh, all of your time. Uh, we're gonna play a, a new game I came up with here on Interim Shadow, the Battle for 2024, and it's called Hypothetical Time Travel. And because it's my podcast, I get to play this game. And <laughs> hypothetical time travel that we're gonna play this week is that uh, in 2024, Joe Biden runs for re-election. I don't know who the Republican nominee is, um, but in in my hypothetical time travel game, Joe Biden loses. It's a very close election, maybe similar to the last two, um, somewhere in there. And Joe Biden decides that he doesn't agree, that he thinks that Republicans, he's got all of his reasons. I'm sure some of it would be some of these new voting laws in states like Georgia. Uh, you don't have to try and sell me on the Georgia voting law, but I'm just giving you what Joe Biden would probably say, maybe what he'd say. And he'd, he'd send Mark Elias to court because he is their A number one election lawyer. And in my game, they lose every time, whatever. There's not enough evidence. The judge doesn't want to overturn an election. Take your pick. And Joe Biden refuses to concede, won't concede. It was stolen. It was rigged. And um, maybe he gives a speech at the ellipse. Maybe he doesn't. Either way, 
a lot of his supporters are incensed that Donald Trump or Donald Trump supporters or Ted Cruz or name your nominee, your winner steals the election and they go to the Capitol and they're going to put an end to this and they breach the Capitol. And we've already seen this. There's plenty of video. And then the Congress says, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. We're going to convene a committee to investigate what happened and hold people accountable, including, if necessary, the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden. I mean, does that sound reasonable to you that that would happen? Sounds like Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams. Is that what you're trying to say? Does it sound reasonable, in other words, that it should happen? Maybe you think it wouldn't. It does. But wouldn't you want that to happen? But this this is my point, which is you literally have a woman who's running the normalization campaign of no voter ID, who claims to be the the rightful governor of Georgia. You have Hillary Clinton who lost the race and then immediately turned it into, well, they cheated because they colluded with Russia. And no one calls that a big lie in either case. It's fine. She gets book deals and still gives speeches. And now she seems to be a legitimate presidential contender again. Uh, It only works one way. That's why I told you, is it deliberate? Of course it's deliberate. Um, You realize the Black Lives Matter Antifa protesters were so aggressive that dozens of Secret Service agents and and, uh, Washington cops were injured, seriously injured, that they had to move the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, into the bunker, uh, just like they had to do with Nancy Pelosi at the Capitol. Only one of those riots is is worthy of investigation from Congress, solitary confinement and the destruction of people's lives. The other one, prominent Democrats help those people get out of jail the next day. I don't think anybody that I know of was prosecuted for any serious crime. We certainly never read about it. Uh, no one talks, no one equates those two things because the press fails to equate the violence on both the left and the right in a way that seems at least a little bit fair. That is why people on my side are so incensed that they can't get a fair shake through the media. They can't get a fair shake uh, through uh, the, 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 the legal process. They can't get a fair shake in elections. It's very dangerous, David. So I would simply say, yes, I think it's a fair point that our political leaders should not um, encourage people to be violent uh, in association with elections. I think I don't want to see that. Um, and I'm glad that the FBI says that there's no link between Trump in doing that. But now the one six committee is going to do everything they can to make this Trump's third impeachment. I would like to get to a more normal period. But my question to you is, why did Joe Biden say the other day that he's going to have to question the results of the midterm elections because of not applying no voter ID? I mean, this is the insanity we're in. If Trump were to say something like that, all hell breaks loose. Joe Biden said that on national television because he said three or four other crazy, stupid things. I guess it's not getting that much coverage. But for, to me, I listened to that and I thought it's just amazing. They can say it. We can't. Well, hence my game of hypothetical time travel. And of course, the press secretary in the White House, Jen Psaki, had to clean that up. Um, so she did. They, they clearly knew they had a they had a bit of a problem there. M- Matt Schlapp is the author of The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. He has co-written The Desecrators with DLW Hudson. It's a great book. Everybody should check it out. Matt, where can people get the book? You know, everyone always says wherever books are sold, but uh, they can go to the TAN website. That's T-A-N. They can go to the uh, CPAC website, and we'll we'll send you off to one of those other websites. Of course, you can go to Amazon, uh, which has a best, bestseller list. You know something about David. 
and you can go to Barnes and Nobles. And I'm sure there's a lot of other sites as well. So go to your favorite site. And uh, and I hope, I just hope the book gets in some people's hands. I know there's a lot of people don't agree with me in my politics. That's fine. This is America after all. But I do think uh, it's an it's an important point of view for people who look at America and think something is ailing it. And I think they'll enjoy the read. Matt Schlapp, you will never be canceled on Interim Shadow. Come back anytime. <laughs> and thank you so much. Thanks, David. Brian Johnson is the producer of this episode of In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024. My book, In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP, is now available for purchase wherever books are sold. And every day, you can find my work online at www.WashingtonExaminer.com. We'll see you next time. Ricochet. Join the conversation.